Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Kellen and Alex Show. This podcast was recorded in April of 2020. On this podcast, we interview Clement Harold, the Vice President of Student Government at Franciscan University. We ask him the tough questions regarding his campaign promises, what he hopes to do in the fall, his slogan, Make Franciscan Great Again, what he means by that. Uh, really had a, a great time interviewing him. Um, afterwards, we talk with Kirian Fedorov regarding the notion of the virtual church that we've created. Uh, what this means for the church to have everything be live streamed, um, where is the necessity of the sacraments, how do we get back to that, how do we convince people to get out of just a live stream type virtual church, so we get into all of that and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of The Kellen and Alex Show. Um, but it's more just saying, um, you know, we love this place, and how can we continue to make it even better? Um, so for me personally, you know, coming from another country to Franciscan is really being a dream come true. And, you know, Franciscan to me means, um, yeah, it means the world to me is that this is, is such a unique place forming students to be disciples of Christ. And it's unique all over, you know, it's known all over the world. And sometimes I think we forget that how privileged we are to be able to study here. Um, but at the same time, it's really important to nation. I, that we, um, that we don't sort of become complacent in that, um, in that sort of recognition, um, but that actually we should always be striving to say, um, how can we continue to grow? How we, can we continue to draw nearer to Christ? Um, how can we t- continue to do more for our students and represent them in the different concerns they have? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of something of what we're getting at when we say uh, that we're the voice of the students, that we want to make Franciscan great again. Nice. Hey, Clem. Yeah. Uh, Recently, you guys, honestly, thanks for coming on the show with us. You know, it's awesome seeing you on here. Recently, you guys put out a video. uh, Naish was the main actor and he was, you know, talking about mental mental health issue. How important is that to you guys really, you know, on campus and just around the world, you know, really Mm -hmm. addressing the mental health issue? Yeah, thank you. That's a a very important question. Um, Mental health has been a really big issue in this campaign. And it's something that we've really tried to highlight and focus on, um, along with a number of other concerns about supporting students. Um, So whether it's things like um, supporting students with disabilities or, um, you know, maybe raising awareness on things like sexual assault on campus, um, you know, supporting students in in crisis pregnancy situations. Um, So we see mental health, um, along with these other issues, as being critically important. Um, and we know it's it's something that, yeah, particularly in recent years, has really come to the fore, has started to be talked about a lot more. It's something that I, um, you know, was having been an RA in Garming, where one in three students uh, suffer some form of mental, uh, you know, mental illness. Um, it, it, you know, seeing there the training we had and, and you know, working with the wellness center um, to see how we could be- best serve those students. You know, it's, it's very clear to me from that experience and from experience with friends, um, it's very clear to me and to Nate as well that this is, yeah, it, it's a big issue. Um, we think uh, it's not an issue that student government can um, necessarily solve by itself, you know, so, so we have to be careful in how we talk about it that we, we can't sort of, um, yeah, we can't pretend that we can solve this. But what we can do is we can certainly be a strong voice to students and say, is there more that we could be doing as a Franciscan family on this issue? Um, and also, yeah, just being there to kind of 
um, point students to raise awareness and point students to the resources that they need and the support that they need. And definitely, and one thing that, you know, I've just seen around campus and like compared to other big universities that, you know, I've been to, students here are just so much more, you know, passionate about each other. You know, they really care for each mm -hmm. other, go out of their way to do things for each other. I mean, you know, that's like the Franciscan mentality is being able to, you know, put yourself out there and, and work hard and, and, you know, do something for somebody else, go out of your way. Is that kind of like, you know, a main thing that you guys want to build your campaign off of just, you know, really being compassionate for other people? Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's yeah, it's critically important to us. Um, but you know, we I think that that idea of the Franciscan University family I think is really apt because we are. I mean, if we, if we take our faith seriously, we're a family uh, united uh, in Christ, and that should mean something to us in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we um, build community on campus and build those relationships, whether that's in household or. Um, you know, on a sports team or just, you know, with your peers. Um, yeah, it's really, I think, especially um, today with um, sort of modern technology and social media, where there's a lot of sort of isolation uh, and a lot of sort of um, distancing between people. I think Franciscan can really um, stand out as a witness to what it means um, to have that, that strong sense of community, that kind of um, that family where everyone is kind of looked after and where we, yeah, where we look out for each other. Um, so that is, yeah, hundred percent is, uh, is very, very important to us. And I think important to our whole, our whole campaign. So we have a when few guys. Oh, go ahead, Colin. You, sorry. But one more question. Uh, you know, when did you and, uh, Nash officially decide to run for these positions and how did the coronavirus, if it was before, just turn everything upside down for you guys? <laughs> yeah, it uh, it certainly it certainly did that. Um, so Nation, I uh, it was actually towards the end of the fall semester that we had some initial talks about the possibility. Um, Nation being planning to run, and then we sort of raised the possibility of me running as his uh, as his VP. And we sort of those those discussions continued over Christmas break, and then early in the, in the semester we sort of made the final decision that that was what we would do. Um, yeah, in terms of the the coronavirus, um, yeah, that definitely that you know, as for everything else, it, it, it threw a threw a wrench in the works. Um, we this is a very this is the first online election Franciscans ever had, um, and yeah, it's not what we anticipated, especially in the middle of finals week. Um, but you know, it, it's been it in some ways it's. Um, yeah, it's it's not been all bad. We've still been able to use, you know, modern technology is, you know, it gives us a lot of um, opportunities with social media and um, with video and live streams. So it's it's um, you know we've been able to keep things going as best as we can. Um, but yeah, certainly been a, an unusual, unusual election. Thanks, Thanks, So we got a question from the chat. Um, says. A lot of promises from both sides in this campaign seem hard to enact or financially burdensome. How do you plan to implement your platform within the bounds of student government and perhaps more importantly, without breaking the bank? That's a very uh, good, good question to go to. Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, so the first thing I would do is encourage you to actually um, visit our, our Instagram or our Facebook page because uh, about, about an hour and a half ago, we actually put out our final video for the campaign. And we touched on some of these issues um, because there has been discussion how 
with the fallout from coronavirus, there are certain financial strains on the university right now and how that's going to affect student government. And um, thankfully, the experience, you know, with Naish actually being the current treasurer of student government and with me being on the Senate, um, we've you know been aware of that for some time and we have been able to plan for that. Um, so it's worth making students aware that student government will still have um, approximately $60,000. That's kind of the estimate next year. Um, probably about at least $16,000 um, in contingency. So for, you know, for certain policies which are more expensive, um, we've pledged $5,000 on mental health, for example, then we'll have, you know, we'll be able to draw from that $16,000. Um, but the other thing worth saying is that for us, for the policies that we have, um, most of them are actually ones that can be done at minimal cost. Um, they cost very little, if anything. Uh, so things like, you know, um, having a town hall meeting with Father Dave every semester or um, taking our pro-life commitments more seriously or, um, you know, better promoting our sports teams, um, just being there to represent students in a strong way. Um, none of those things need to cost a lot of money, if any. And so, you know, we, it's very important to us that we, we've actually identified a lot of goals where student government has a ton of, uh, I think, untapped potential. There's so much more it could be doing. Uh, and, and to say that you need loads of money to do all those things is just an excuse. Um, and yeah, and we've also taken very seriously being transparent. So with our different policies, um, for example, like we, you know, we've said we'd like to get an espresso machine in the cafe. So that's something that we actually took the time to, you know, uh, approach Parkhurst and, and get on the phone with them and see like how feasible is that. And then we, you know, we've been able to kind of make our commitments accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it has been an issue in the campaign, but I, I would say for us, um, we really believe that the policies we have are, um, they're definitely very ambitious, um, but they're also, I think, realistic, uh, God willing. So maybe if we could get a sense of the financial, well, I kind of have two parts of it. So uh, the first question is, so they are keeping the budget pretty similar. And then the second part would be to get a, a feel, what is your opinion on the rock climbing wall? Looking at back retrospectively. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, so the budget is, um, so the, the way it's working with the budget is basically it's, student government is going to have uh, a similar amount to what it's had historically. Um, and that's going back several years. So in, in the last, like about two years ago, student government had an unusually high contingency, um, which was in the tens of thousands. Um, but that's, that's kind of an anomaly. And actually before that, you know, you usually just have a few thousand in the bank, um, that, that the few thousand is contingency, what I mean. So like a few thousand that it can sort of um, spend on whatever it wants. And in some ways we might be going back to that. So that's, that's what like the 16,000 that I mentioned would be. Hmm. Um, but that's not, um, that's not particularly out of the norm um, for student government. So in, in that sense, it's more what student life has more just said is, um, you know, you, you, we had about, uh, we had, um, I think more than $20,000 that was unspent from this semester. And they've said, okay, you're not going to get all of that extra because we do have these financial struggles right now. Right. Um, but, and, and I think that's understandable. Um, yeah. In terms of the rock climbing wall, I, I, that was, so that was my freshman year. Um, maybe some of the, uh, the lower classmen uh, maybe, maybe don't remember that, but yeah, I was not a fan. I think uh, $11,000 on a climbing wall that, uh, probably what one percent of the student body, if that, 
I use, I think it's, it's an example of what student government shouldn't be and what, it's an example of where we need to, um, yeah, actually change, change student government for good. Yeah, fair enough. Not, not fair a big uh, Santa Claus I can give you just uh, presents I tr- I on occasion. I tried it. I tried it once and it, <laughs> I mean, it's, it was fun, but I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, you, know, you can adjust the, like the speed on the side. That thing just broke and the whole thing just got destroyed. Yeah, not a good move. So guys in chat, we are taking questions. If you have uh, more questions, our 14 viewers, wow. Pushing a lot of numbers today. Anyways, um, we really are. Yeah. So what would you say, um, okay, from, well, I kind of have two things. I'm, I'm trying to debate where I want to go with it. I was either going to talk about, um, you know, what, what needs to change from how previously student governments have been doing things because you, you know, make mm-hmm. it great again. What, what about, and being the voice of the students, what about how student governments has been conceived and how it operates and how it serves the students? What is like your, you know, top three things that really need to change seriously? Sure. And do you mean that change in student government? You mean? Yes. In the way that like student government operates, how the students perceive it. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, I think the first thing that we need to do is uh, just change the way that it's perceived by the student body. I think there's this perception, which is actually very legitimate, um, which is that it's just a bunch of students who are kind of stuck up and who kind of dress up once a week and feel good about themselves. And, you know, they're there to get the thing on the resume. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having been in student government, I can say that's maybe, (laughs) maybe in part true. Um, So that's the first thing is that we need to, we need to become, uh, we need to present ourselves um, as being, you know, as, as Lincoln would say, you know, by, of, and for the student body um and, and be there to actually serve them um the second thing i think is just being a lot more transparent with students um i think uh it's been really striking to us in this campaign that you know the vast majority of students really don't know what student government does um they certainly don't know that it has tens of thousands of dollars of their money which it spends every year and so we'd like to get that information out to students and we have you know a number of creative policies for we're trying to do that. Um, yeah, and the third thing is just really, um, like I was saying before, is using, tapping into the potential that student government has. So I think especially if we can actually succeed in changing the image it has on campus and making it more transparent and more relevant, then actually there is a lot more it could do in really spearheading efforts among the student body and being a platform for students to bring about real change on campus because student government does have a voice directly with the administration. And mm-hmm. so I think we can really, um, like I say, tap into some of that potential and actually do, do a lot more than it is at the moment. So I guess one of the overarching questions would be like, what is you and Nash being in student government? Like, how are you going to get people to be interested in what student government's doing particularly? Because I mean, I went through Franciscan student government I had to deal with on occasion because of Veritas Society. Uh, but beyond that, it didn't really seem like they affected much of the everyday life of students, except for maybe funding clubs or whatever else. So sure. when you're saying being the voice of the students, you know, why why should students have a vested interest on, you know, what you and Nature are doing and uh, um, mm. what student government actually is doing? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you know they, they they don't have to take an interest. Um, they don't want to. We don't we don't want student government to be in their face. Um, but I think the way we see it is that student government they should know that it's there for them if they want it. And so, if an issue comes up um, in your experience as a student that you think you know something needs to change on campus, maybe it's a personal experience or just a, an issue on campus as a whole where you think um, we need to do something about this, then you should you should know that you have the um the structure of student government there to serve you um so like again it's, it's not that it should be um, in your face but if you want it it should be there for you in a way that it's not right now and i think as well i think if we if we can succeed in making student government do far more than it is at the moment and actually meaning something and being a force for good on campus then i think actually students will will take an interest in a way that they don't right now and so the first step is, like I said, is promoting that um, transparency. Uh, one thing that Nation and I would like to do is we'd like to give every student and put in every dorm room uh, just a contact card with our with our emails, um, with our phone numbers, so that every student on campus should have direct access to us because we're their representatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we'd like to. We talked about. You know, we'd like to have a, a town hall meeting with Father Dave in the in the JC every semester, so you can actually raise concerns with him. Um, so I think that's the first step is 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 sort of building those links with the student body, and then yeah, actually allowing students to um, to use the sort of um, the the resources, the manpower, the funding, the platform of student government to affect things on campus. Um, so whether that's club leaders trying to achieve their goals or ministry coordinators trying to um, engage the student body or whatever it might be, we think student government needs to actually, you know, be be very relevant to those people and be very, um, very much there to serve them. Yeah. You have any questions there, Kellen? I'll allow you to hop in. Yeah. So I just have to say, we got about uh, five more minutes uh, for Clement. He has to go. Um, So yeah, just maybe final questions. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm, Clem, I'm just very pleased with like the way you guys are, you know, conducting yourselves in your campaign and what you're really trying to do for the students. Yeah, I do agree. I think we need more kind of, you know, more ways to reach people on campus, like you said, with those cards. I think that, you know, just because we're college students doesn't mean, you know, like we're perfect. You know what I'm saying? You know, like we we also need, we need a lot of, you know, a lot of times we need a lot of help. And um, to go to you guys, you know, knowing that you're our representatives, I think it's really important that we have, um, you know, just this way of, com- you know, uh, communication. Uh, mm. So I'm really pleased with the way you guys are conducting yourselves and, you know, you're being gentlemen and just, you know, really putting your, putting yourselves out there. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Um, maybe as a final note, uh, just, I guess, beyond the campaign, like um, mm. maybe, so obviously we're, you know, in the very middle or perhaps in the beginning or maybe the end of the Corona stuff. And um, Mm -hmm. we've shut down school and everything's, uh, so assuming you get elected and you're in the position and um, you know, what are your, let's say predictions for how school's gonna operate when, you know, let's Mm -hmm. say the fall semester uh, comes back and, you know, is that gonna change how student government operates and, you know, where the money goes towards uh, things like clubs, maybe not being able to do their activities because of, you know, we don't really know what it looks like, right? But um, sure. any thoughts with how, let's say, Franciscan life's going to be different in the post-corona universe? Yeah, so that's what we're wondering. It's um, 
yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one. Uh, I've had some conversations with you know members of, of student life, uh, with Mr. Schneezing and you know some some of the faculty members, and you know I think there's there's definitely still a lot of uncertainty at uh, this at this point. Um, I think you know they're, they're discussing different measures. There's still are that you know they're still very much, especially with the Step in Faith program, which I think is really uh, an amazing thing for Franciscan and a real um, a real trusting in Providence, which is exactly what we need right now. I think there's reasons to be optimistic and hopeful that we'll be able to return in the fall. Um, that there's definitely talk about different measures of putting um, keeping some of the more at risk professors perhaps off campus doing online classes. Um, perhaps having uh, restricted class sizes. I even heard um, talk about, you know, having to disinfect every classroom after each class. So it, it could be, it could be strange. It could be um, pretty intense, but uh, to be honest, I think, I think I'd speak for all the students and I'd say like, just, just as long as we can get back and be back together, then we'll put up with the, the craziness for another six months. Um, and yeah, in terms of student government, um, they're definitely, it's going to be, I think we're going to need good leadership for the next year because it's going to be at least for the fall semester. This will continue to to be challenging. Um, but you know, I think the student body has, um, yeah, I have a lot of faith in Franciscan students. You know, I think um, you know we we really. Um, I think we'll get through this in the right way. And you know, if there are restrictions or things, you know, maybe there's certain events that we can't hold on campus because of that. You know, limits on the numbers of people or whatever it might be. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, the main thing will just be that we're able to kind of continue um, to at least be on campus, continue to have the sacraments, um, and I think student government will, you know, it will adjust to that the same as the same as everyone else. Um, so, yeah, we're sort of definitely, yeah, definitely praying that we can all get back together in August. Amen. Absolutely. And we wish you all the best on the elections tomorrow. And let's just one more time for our, our viewers. Uh, so you go to your Blackboard page and then you click on the Blackboard link and you go to organizations mm -hmm. and you go down and you can click for the student government elections. They will be open tomorrow from 9 a.m. to 4.30 Eastern time. So that's going to be it ends at 1.30 Pacific time. Us California crew out here. Um, so, yeah, make sure you guys vote. And you get our full endorsement of the Kellen and Alex show. Please vote for Clement and Nash for student government president and vice president. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Clem. I really, really appreciate it. Um, all the best. Absolutely. Yeah, this was, um, this was my first time on the, the Kellen and Alex show, but I, I hope it's not my last. So thank you for having not me. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I right. appreciate God it. Brother. Yeah. God bless. Have a good evening. Well, that was awesome. That was great. Yeah. Uh, we, we are still streaming, guys. We are still streaming. Uh, Kirian Fedorov will be joining us for uh, what we think. Yeah, our Franciscan. What What is Franciscan in this post-coronavirus look like? Uh, student government elections. We could talk about things that student government can really do. Uh, so Kerry will be joining us on stream very soon. I'm actually going to go ahead and invite him. Uh, but yeah, uh, first of all, Kellen, what did you think? Um, his positions... Yeah, I mean you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with how Clem and, and Nish are, you know, conducting their campaign and, and what they're really focusing on. Um, and I think it's important right now, for sure, you know, with our world being turned upside down, that we have somebody to look to, you know, and just seeing these two guys over the years, you know, the way that they, you know, conduct themselves and, and how they really contribute to the student body and what they want, their desires, you know, for 
for the school. I think that it's going to go off well. I think that they're going to, you know, win this election, hopefully. And um, if they don't, you know, you know, the other, you know, the other candidates are great. So it'll all be all right. But, um, you know, I just, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to these two and what they have in store, honestly. I mean, I think that they're, they're two really bright, smart guys and they know, they know what's up. So, you know, it'll be good. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me is like, I mean, we don't know what post-corona anything looks like at this point. And we don't know if we're really even being a post-corona state. Um, Obviously this has been like, you know, anything anyone's thinking about, but even looking at like student government, um, (laughs) like what I was really surprised at is their budget's going to stay the same. Right. I I found that very interesting. Their budget's going to stay the same because I'm, I'm anticipating uh, Franciscan's probably going to lose a lot of money off of this. I don't know what their investments or their financial situation looks like, but um, I mean, this step in faith program, like we've talked about before, it really seems to me like they realize that they're going to have a huge drop in enrollment and um, and maybe they're already seeing a drop in enrollment and they need new students. And so they're offering the free tuition for this semester and then over the coming semesters. Um, so yeah, financially, like what is, uh, you know, can Franciscan University handle it financially now you have more students who can come, um, you know, on this free tuition basis. How many current students are going to have to really ask for financial aid? Because a lot of people are getting laid off. We're at like 30 million unemployment. I mean, that's that's unbelievable, right? And a lot of states are not even really opening quickly. Things are still going slow, right? April was basically canceled the whole month. But what does May look like? You know, if we spend another month and a half, um, so you know, talking about Franciscan in this coming fall and what it looks like, um, it's really gonna be difficult financially. I, that's what I'm like, I'm concerned a lot about that. Right. Yeah. I think, I think most of us are concerned about the financial stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough situation because so all new students, they're getting, they're getting free tuition. Is that right? So yeah, all new students that come in, they're getting free tuition. They still have to pay uh, room and board. So right. Carrie and Fedorov, let's admit them into the room. Let's get them in. Get these, get these opinions rolling. There he is. This is the desert dog. Mr. Fedorov, our second special guest for tonight. This is Mr. Kirian Fedorov. Uh, yeah, first thoughts on uh, Clem and Nash's campaign, the, the interview we just had with Clem. Well, um, let me start out by saying that it was delightful to hear any Franciscan student's voice again after this <laughs> long hiatus without people. Um, additionally, it was good to hear that he and Nish and Emma and Patrick all want the best for Franciscan. Um, it looks to be a very close race. And I personally, while I will be voting for Nation Clem, I do want to give a fair hearing out to both platforms. So that'll come up later, but. Good, good. Yeah. We already gave them our endorsement. So I'm sure, you know, they're going to win for sure at this point. By the way, Twitch viewers, you guys are awesome. 13 viewers. That's crazy. I think we're hitting record numbers, guys. Uh, But drop us stuff in chat. We are reading chat. Um, We got, uh, so there was a question that didn't get answered. How do you guys feel about the other campaign in terms of the way they have conducted themselves as well as their, quote, promises? This is from uh, AC007. So, yeah, what do you guys think about? I don't know. 
bar- barely anything about Emma and, and Pat's campaign, so I, I'm I have no clue. So I'll, I'll leave this to you guys on that. To be honest with you, I don't know anything either. So Carrie, this might be on you. This is Carrie's right. time to shine. He's our resident right. expert on the Emma let's, and Pat let's campaign. Let's start off by saying that if you're ignorant about the policies that both parties are they're trying to implement, please do not vote. <laughs> so Kellen and Alex, please do not vote in this election. What? Because we know a little bit about Clem, like, What is going Pat, on? Are you kidding Pat me? O'Brien, Pat O'Brien is the nursing major, right? That's right. Yes, he is. Yeah, okay. And then who's the other? Emma Van Such, a psychology and counseling major. Psychology and counseling. Okay. I don't, I'd probably recognize her, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, honestly, Patrick's a great guy. You know, he's, he's awesome dude. Hanging out with him is fun. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I wouldn't mind. I mean, they're, they're both two great, you know, groups, and it'd be good to see either one, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. in regards to um, both the campaigns, I will say that in what I've been observing and what I've been seeing, it's been a very close race between both parties. So Emma and Patrick, um, at this point, have become a lot the favored party. Um, they've received endorsements from Derek Markle and they received an endorsement from Bob Lefsneski before it was taken down. And on that note, I would like to say that faculty endorsements on student government elections is a big no-no. I think they're called student government elections for a reason. It's by the students. And just throwing faculty, possibly even faculty celebrities like Bob, um, is a mistake that could sway the vote to one side or the other, and that's just not fair to either party. Right, yeah. So... To that regard, um, I saw Bob put out a video. He did, yes, and then it was taken down. And it was taken down. Wow. Yes. Wow. Jeez. Because that's that's the fairness aspect. It's that you don't want your party, or rather, you do want your party, but fairness demands that you are going to win this election or lose this election by your own merits and by the merits of your team, not necessarily some dude or higher up who divorced who not divorces you, endorses you. Bob Lepsneski, please don't divorce anybody. <laughs> don't divorce me, Bob. <laughs> don't divorce uh, me, Bob. Okay, so Emma, Emma is, um, okay, yeah, so I know who she is now, yeah, okay. So, yeah, she's pretty outgoing, right? I mean, she's, yeah. She yeah, and Patrick so, both served as RAs and Louis Liz this past year. Awesome. Yeah. You know, speaking, it's it's interesting, My because my sister, you know, she's on the Austrian semester right now, but she's home, obviously. And there's one people, Mac Daddy is teaching right now in the Audi Max. And there's one girl that stayed there in Austria. I don't know what her name is. I think she's Isabella's friend, but she stays there. And while Professor McNamara streams, she's the only one in the entire Audi Max, which holds like, what, 100 people? She's the only one in there. And he teaches. And so, you know, it's interesting. Like, can you imagine? Dude, honestly, I would have stayed in Austria instead of come home during this quarantine. I would have. I mean, honestly, it's my Austrian semester. I ain't coming home. I mean, what do you think, Carrie? I mean, if the government forces you out, I don't think you really have a choice. <laughs> Did well, you just I mean, say you'd stay in Austria for? I'd totally stay there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you you could go up to Switzerland. You know, you could go out into the the mountains with. Would your they family. even let you in? I can't. They wouldn't let Swiss you in passport. at that point. Yeah. Well, you have a Swiss passport, though, don't you? I am. I'm a Swiss citizen, so they'd let me in. Okay. Yeah. Which is well, respectfully <laughs> bullcrap, but so are they going to do an Austria semester for next semester in the fall? Are they doing? One? I don't know. That's going to be like, how would uh, I, I wonder, like, you know, is anyone signing up for it? 
do you want to go to Europe in the fall? Like, is it going to be possible to with Corona? Let's say, okay, let's say you get there and it's August and you're like, yeah, I'm super excited. And then like October rolls around and they have a huge outbreak in Austria and they shut everything down and you can't travel anywhere again. Like, that's a real possibility. I mean, this this wasn't a possibility for us when we went, right? What was that, fall of 2018? This is just, I'm telling you, there's there's going to be, we're just going to be, it's it's like 9-11 of pre and post. And now it's going to be like Corona stuff pre and post. And I don't know what, like, when is post going to even, you know, because people are talking about, oh, let's reopen, let's do this and that. Like, how are schools going to open in the fall? And, um, you know, will we have some herd immunity at that point? Like, will professors be scared to teach classes in person? Will they not hold office hours? Because, I mean, their older professors would be more at risk. Um, And obviously, you have to have professors to run your university. Uh, What if you have an outbreak on a campus and you have to shut down? What if Franciscan has an outbreak? Um, How does European travel get affected? Austria semesters get affected? Um, I kind of hinted at it at the end of the tail end of the, you know, the the Clem interview here. But um, I think that's going to be the, that's the ultimate contingency here is is what does post-corona Franciscan actually look like at all? Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be the biggest challenge that whichever party is elected is going to face. Um, In particular, though, they're going to have a better time of it since this will also be the first time for everybody else in dealing with this problem. So I think it's going to be a learning process for everybody, which could be better. Mm-hmm. Which is true. And I, honestly, I mean, I think it's going to start going down, I'm pretty sure. I mean, my parents told me that they think in the next month it's going to start really decreasing. Um, and I think by what, what month are we in now? I, I don't even remember. We're in April, right? Tomorrow's um, May. Tomorrow's May. May 1st. <sighs> um, I think by October, what's that? May, June, July, August, September, five months. I think it's going to be completely gone in five months. I mean, people, I mean, that's a healthy estimate, but still when you say it out loud, you have to say people are going to be essentially, you know, locking themselves up or pseudo locked up for the next five months. I mean, we're already going crazy. I mean, there's strikes right now in the food and healthcare departments because people want to be safe, but we need people to work. Otherwise our country is going to shut down entirely. And you know, it's interesting because my parents the other day, cause you know, it's interesting now in the medical field, you know, you can, they're waiving confidentiality because what happens is, is that my, my parents up at their office, they have to actually come outside into a parking lot with their full I-95 mask on and examine people. And so, and you never know, there could be people, you know, behind in their cars, you know, and they can hear this stuff. They're waving confidentiality because you, it's just not possible that every single thing is going to be completely confidential. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. It's scary. You know, particularly in my county, there's like 37 cases, but they're all in Tahoe. So if you look at my this section of NorCal, I'm kind of, you know, eastern a little bit, northeastern. But all our county basically extends almost all the way to Nevada state line. And all the cases in our county are like an hour away. From us. I think there's one case in our in our hospital and the person's completely quarantined. And so there's no real coronavirus, I mean, around here. So I mean, it's it's weird how it just goes in spots, but I don't know, man. I I sure hope it goes down. I really don't know. My original <laughs> guesstimate was completely off. So it's been going on. You said it was gonna be gone by what? 
May? Is that what it was? I said it was going to be gone two months ago. Yeah, you said it was going to be gone two <laughs> yeah, months ago. Yeah, I remember that. And now, so, obviously, like, okay, well, numbers, how contagious it actually is, I think has been a bit overblown. And then mostly because we went from not knowing anything about it to hundreds of thousands of cases, but it's because it's the lag, right? You didn't know about something and it was spreading and it was already there and it was already spreading. And then it went from, oh, zero cases to we're near a million. Like, it definitely doesn't spread from zero to a million in the time frame that we've tested it. Does that make sense? Like it's already been there. Then we test it at zero and then instantly it jumps up super much. So it could be a lot less contagious than we're thinking, even though it's super contagious already comparatively with other diseases. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, like your parents are saying, Kellen, there's probably going to be a, and we're already seeing it in Europe. Um, there's a decrease in the daily rate of cases. And hopefully that line will, will continue to go down in terms of daily rate. And then we may end up seeing spike ups in later months. The real difficult thing now is like, is the opening up stuff. I don't know if you guys saw today the, uh, in Michigan, they were having armed protest at the uh, state Capitol. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. So people had guns, people had guns and no one shot it, which is good. No one, there wasn't a shootout or anything. I'm glad. Yeah. But they brought their guns and they stood in Michigan and Michigan's been the one that's been like, super duper duper shut down and i think most people around the u.s who are outside of like new york city are thinking first of all they're like most i think most people are just like this is way overblown in terms of our reaction and we're ready to get back to work and whatever else like we understand new york city okay fine shut it down whatever you need to do but like the rest of the u.s you know um well it's it's just gonna kill everybody financially a lot of people a lot of people don't know this, and I'm sure most of the population in the United States doesn't know this, but the coronavirus was actually in California like three months before this entire thing just blew over. There were people that were coming into the hospitals and they were being tested for all sorts of different symptoms of the flu or whatever, and they just, they all, they all were fine, but they had this one sickness that they couldn't figure out, and it was like all in the hospitals and everything, and then it kind of went away for a little bit. Now, then the, you know, the coronavirus came. And just blew up. So I mean, people in California actually had the coronavirus like three months before everything blew up. I think only California, obviously, it's a big state and popular destination. So it's interesting. It's been here for a while, which is crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. The fact it's been there so long. We got in chat. Um, uh, uh, 007. As someone from Michigan, I can definitely say the governor is taking the measures way beyond what they need to, and. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Michigan has been one of those places where like super strict restrictions, really like I, I didn't, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, 007, <laughs> but didn't didn't the governor also say like you can't buy liquor or something like that? That that's a non-essential. Ooh. There was like, there that were is. things like you Ooh. can't buy non-essential goods. Not that's you funny. can't offer non-essential services. You can't buy non-essential goods. It's I mean, like communism. <laughs> yeah it's so weird sure it just makes you think like this is and and i understand michigan's hit but like it's not new york city level and new york city didn't even you know a liquor prohibition you can't go to like a liquor store or something you can't get going back to prohibition days corona brings corona brings our prohibition back brother <laughs> exactly um, i don't know that that seems that seems a little bit uh interesting to me i don't know why they would do that i mean 
I don't know. It doesn't really sound right to me. Why would you ban people from getting liquor? I mean, that's the only way that they can drown their sorrows if they're freaking out. So, I mean, I mean, it's kind of to be not not this part to be expected, but it's kind of expected. So the federal government said we're going to allow the states and it's not just allow the states. The states have the right to. OK, we're going to they get to implement their own Corona pro, uh, policies. You have 50 states. You get like two or three absolute nutty Dems who are like, let's lock everything down. And, you know, California is suffering from that, right? Governor Newsom is, you know, like last weekend, Newport Beach had. Sorry, can you hear me? No, I can hear. I'm just saying our governor's crazy. Oh, okay, Yeah. No, agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yes. Governor Newsom. So Newport Beach had like tons of people out on the beach and stuff. And they had like helicopters flying over and stuff. And Governor Newsom brought it up in his press conference like, this is absolutely not how we're supposed to do this. And, and it's weird because you'll have like Huntington and Newport are open. Venice, uh, Santa Monica and other places are all closed. And then here in San Diego, we got Del Mar and La Jolla are or sorry, Del Mar and Solana Beach are closed. La Jolla and Mission Beach are open. And like you have empty beaches and then full beaches and everyone's like. No one knows. No one knows. Like the phasing that they're talking about is so slow and incremental. I think people are just getting really pissed off really quickly. And you guys well, can let me know what you guys think in chat as well. Um, hey, hey, hey. Who's hey, this? hey, hey, look who it is. Pablo Dabla. What's up? It's Paul Pop- Denley. Oh, hey, what's up, Paul? How you doing, big dog? Oh, okay, okay. Perfect. Yeah, like, those you don't the, know, that is yeah, Paul yeah. Denley, the man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend, brother. So, Paul Denley, my man. So... Always carries around the military backpack. <laughs> he does. He absolutely does. Uh, we got some more things in chat. Uh, as Okay. They roped off a bunch of areas in the stores in Michigan. Mostly outdoor things, but I never heard about the liquor. Fair enough. Uh, in Ohio, you need to have a military ID or Ohio license to buy liquor. Really? What? Is that normal law, Caitlin? Or is that... What? Wait, no, that's not right. Wait a minute. Is it? What? Yeah, I'm just going to Weirton. <laughs> i guess so yeah west virginia does not have the same law so that's nice all right so okay uh, according to the news alabama and pennsylvania have closed liquor stores um michigan and other states will shut down bars and restaurants but it doesn't look like they're actually going to shut down any of their grocery store um section liquor places so did you hear what happened in georgia in Atlanta or whatever in Georgia, what happened they opened up. They opened up the beaches or something, or or some uh, beaches. I don't know. They opened up something, and like two hundred people died or something like that. Oof. Opened up and just two hundred people die like that. So people are really questioning. Okay, social Darwinism. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so I think it's too early to start opening stuff up. And I don't know if Trump has come out with stuff that's saying. You know, you're going to start opening stuff up. I mean, it's state sovereignty anyways, because there's places Mm -hmm. that, you know, take Montana, for example. There's like a thousand cases there and like 10 people have died or something. That that state is huge. That state's like bigger than California. And so it's weird. Um, I have friends in Wyoming that just say. There's nothing going on, man. Like, it's just the big the big places that are being affected are along the coast and just inland. But it's weird. It's just sporadic. It just goes from place to place. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think that it, I don't think that it's smart to start opening stuff now. I think we should wait at least another month. I mean, why would you rather? I mean, come on, American citizens should, on some level, 
use their brains and say, let's just wait another month. Let's not start. Right. But are you really going to, how are you going to enforce that? Are you going to have martial law? You're going to teach because that, because that's what it's going to take. You're going to tell them to practice temperance. That's they're not going to do it. (laughs) Temperance. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Coming from Kellen Lake preaching temperance. Exactly. Um, I'm telling you, man, look, no, no, no. I, I agree with you. People need to have common sense and stay inside. But the problem is we've got a lot of businesses still open, a lot of grocery stores, some establishments. I think in Arizona, in the next four days, we're going to start opening up restaurants again. But then we have all of our churches closed down. You know, I have to call a priest to get confession. I haven't received the Eucharist in a month and a half. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. That's and that's, and that's honestly the bigger problem I see here, at least for us Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, Padre Queso asked this question in the Twitch chat: um, What about Padre the ecclesial response? Banning public masses, shutting and locking churches, uh, many dioceses are even barring people from going to confession, and that's a big problem. And I think that since we've got all these other businesses open. If we practice social distancing, churches can still be opened up. And obviously, if you can call a priest and go for a confession appointment to them, then you can still have confession. But we need to start opening up the churches again. Because right now, all the liberal Catholics, all the modernists are saying, don't be stupid, stay indoors. They're going to Walmart. They're loading up two shopping carts full of Ritz crackers and celery sticks. And then they're saying, I'm not going to mass. It's not safe. You know, never mind that there's 200 other people at the Walmart at any given time. Yep. Mm. I mean, what, I are, could, what are we going to do with that? Yep. I got to yeah. cut you off. I'm really stupid and didn't bring my charger. So if the stream just Yikes. randomly ends, that's because what it is. But, uh, and if it does, I'll, I'll keep streaming, but I'll stream from my phone. So I don't know how that'll work, but just letting you know, Paul's grabbing my charger actually. <laughs> Sweet. So, but anyways, yeah. um, also, you guys are awesome. This is, We're breaking 12 viewers. Holy crap. If you're not a follower of the Hingus Tringus channel, what are you doing? You don't want to be a Tringus yet? What the heck? Drop I a follow. We'll name, thank you in chat. I think it's the name that turns people off. What? <laughs> it's true, actually. Oh, my gosh. Probably change it. Hingus Tringus. That is... No, no, no. That brings so much seriousness to our uh, to our channel. We should change it, but only if... Only if y'all come back to Franciscan next semester and join me. Breaking news. I'm going to be back there. Okay. I'm going to be back there work. I'm going to be back there working probably for the next, hopefully a couple of years, just gaining more experience with athletics. Yeah. I'll be back guys. I'm coming. He's coming, dude. Uh, So Claire asked, where are you, Alex? And why are you not with your charger? I'm actually at my dad's office right now, uh, which is (laughs) still open. Yeah. That's it's great. Uh, we can talk about social. Oh, okay, yeah, the Padre uh, Queso question, the ecclesial response. I think this is something we could talk about until my battery dies, perhaps, or until Paul brings the charger back. Sure. But uh, ecclesial sure. response, disappointed, uh, well reasoned. Um, wish they could have done stuff differently. What do you guys think? All three. Hmm. I think they did too little too late and now they've been quiet for too long and something needs to change. This virtual stuff is killing me. And I yeah. think it's 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 an abomination. 
Uh, yeah, no, it's it's really bad. My pastor, no, actually, this was, my pastor was quoting Pope Francis actually, who who had said like the church is not a virtual church; we're a sacramental church, and I think that's that's got to be at the forefront. Like we we can't do a we're not a socially distant church. You can't mm-hmm. just live stream someone preaching and that substitutes for the holy sacrifice of the mass. Like we got to have mass and people got to be present and we have to actually be there and responding and the Lord be with you with your spirit. Receive the body of Christ. Like confession has to be with two people physically. Like the church has to be a physical there church. We can't just be this virtual thing. Whereas the Protestants, you know, they can, you know, put their sermons online and everything just is kind of hunky dory and, oh, you can't come, but you can still listen to the the pastor preach or whatever. We can't substitute. We can't be a virtual church. We're a sacramental church, right? So having that as your first principle, and then you can start talking about like, okay, now coronavirus is the, you know, the thing. So what do we do about that, right? Go ahead, Gary. Well, unfortunately, as the laity, there's not a lot we can do. And this has led to a lot of, like I said earlier, modernist and liberal Catholics who are now using this to question, well, why don't we have the sacraments over virtual? Why don't we have, you know, a lay priesthood where we can consecrate the Eucharist ourselves? It would be perfect for situations like this. Hmm. I think this virus has really shown how dependent on technology we've become to the Mm. point where even as Catholics, we still have become so used to being able to watch, you know, anything like a papal blessing, you know, from across the world. And then we slowly get accustomed to it. And finally, when the churches open up again, there are going to be people saying, well, I've been going to mass on my computer for weeks now. What's the real difference? And we have to establish that difference. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the Kellen and Alex show. If you want to join us live, we go live at twitch.tv slash Hingus Tringus every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. That's 9 to 11 p.m. for all you East Coast Tringuses. We hope to see you all there. And uh, we release our podcast every Friday morning. So on all the streaming platforms, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, literally anywhere you want to find us. But if you want to join us live, twitch.tv slash Hingus Tringus. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Peace out.